up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Jeff Soto. I've been following Jeff's work since around 2000, 2001, so it's cool to get him on the show. Uh, he joined me via Skype, which actually his very first Skype call was to the podcast, so uh, a first there. And this is actually our 100th episode. I always say R, because I feel like this thing, like I'm sharing it with everybody, um, but it's really just me doing it. Uh, so there isn't a really a we, but when I say it's our podcast, I feel like it's everybody's podcast. Um, who wants to listen anyway? Uh, so it was his first Skype call. Uh, he called in from his studio in Riverside. We talk Riverside, the Rain Cross industry, Max 242, painting in your underwear, graffiti and street art, Barbara Kruger, breaking shit, potato stamp dreams, Rich Jacobs, new image art, uh, avoiding formulas, Shane Smith. Right now, Jeff totally looks like Shane Smith. It's hilarious. Uh, priority bubbles, World War II, Berlin, and Jiu-Jitsu. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the podcast. You can get all the MP3s and information about each artist over there. You should subscribe to the show on iTunes. If you listen to podcasts in iTunes, just search Mike Maxwell, uh, the free podcast, and my show will come up. You can subscribe, and the, the episodes show up automatically in your iTunes folder. Um, you can donate to the podcast over there. You'll see there's a there's a PayPal button on a number of the pages. You can also go on the blog. If you click on the blog, you can find out information about me and the shit that I'm up to, but also information and images and links and stuff to each guest that's been on the show. Um, go check out Jeff's website, jeffsoto.com, and he's on all the ins- uh, social medias as Jeff Soto Art. I'm also thankful for uh, this episode's sponsor, uh, Freakwear.com. You've heard me talk about them for the last few episodes. Uh, make sure you go check them out, Freakwear.com. It's F-R-E-K-W-A-R-E.com. They're a cool t-shirt company out of Los Angeles. Uh, they're, they're interested in supporting the arts and have been supporting the show for a, a few weeks now. I guess since, you know, over the, I guess it's been months now. I have, Sorry it's been taking so long to do an episode I've been really busy with some design work and uh, some commercial shit that helps me pay my bills. If you want me to do more podcasts and uh, not as much commercial work, you can always donate. That'll make me do more shows. But I'm going to do more shows anyway. I like doing these and it's uh, I feel like it's important to get these, these artists' stories out there. Um, there's some cool other podcasts that are also doing art interviews. So usually uh, there's like a list of stuff. If you go on iTunes and check the Live Free podcast, there's a list of stuff that you could uh, find similar type of shows. So I suggest doing that, too. Don't just listen to my show. Go listen to all kinds of art shows. All right. I guess that's enough rambling. Uh, so with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Jeff Soto. All right. Let's give Jeff a call. Jeff Soto, what's up, brother? How are you? Doing good, man. I, I uh, you got the video to work out. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I nice. See, I see you, and I see myself, and uh, a historic moment. My first Skype ever. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I want to first thank you for taking the time to to uh, come on the show. I appreciate it. 
Oh, no problem, man. You know, I, I'm, uh, are we actually recording right now? Yeah, we're recording. Oh, nice, nice. We just jump right into it. You know, I was, usually I tell people, like, okay, I'll be recording when I call, but I was just thinking recently, I was like, maybe that kind of puts people, like, on the, like, like, the nervous tip, like, right from the get-go, like, it's almost like tricking people for the first minute kind of helps, you know, you know what I mean? And there I went, I just blew it, so now I'm going to be all timid and... and No, no, that's perfect. (laughs) Thank you for having me, man, um... Like, I've been listening to your podcast for maybe, I don't know, six months, a year, and oh, yeah? uh, off and on. I haven't. I think you're on, like, what have you done, like, 100 of them? This is actually the 100th episode. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's been cool. Like, a lot of my friends have, have talked to you, like, you know, Kevin Christie and Ryan Jacob Smith, um, a lot of the people I went to Art Center with. Yeah. You know, and people that's a- kind of like heroes of mine, you know? That's rad. And, you know, they all talk super highly of you, too. I think, um, I guess I've met you once or twice before at Comic-Con or, like, at events. And I was thinking, like, that's the, like, most inopportune time to really, like, meet somebody, you know? It's so difficult, especially, like, if you're putting on an art show, like, the amount of people or... In this case, in, like, a Comic-Con instance, like, the amount of people that you're bombarded with in a, sh- a really short period of time, coupled with, you know, all the surrounding uh, affirma that's, like, bombarding your brain with imagery all day, like, <laughs> it ends up not being the greatest place to have a conversation. So, it's, yeah, like, this sure. podcast really w- almost was in response to some of that, you know, like, not having that opportunity to really get to know some of these artists. So, I'm stoked right. that you, again, I'm stoked that you decided to come on. Um you're you're in Riverside. Did you did you grow up there? I grew up until uh, I was about ten years old. I grew up in Fullerton, which is in Orange County in Southern California. And uh, so my family moved out here to kind of follow the cheaper housing. They kind of got priced out of Orange County, and yeah. and uh, so I've, I've been out here since I was ten, more or less. I uh, well, you you had mentioned Taylor just a second ago. Uh, it was interesting when I had him on like learning where he grew up and how that imagery of his surroundings made me appreciate his artwork from a different perspective. I think uh, there's a lot of stuff in your work that kind of shows some of your, your natural environments around you, right? Like I think the, the cross image that you use, I think shows up a lot. Isn't that something that's uh, used it's used in Riverside. It's like some sort yeah, of symbol. Yeah. What is that symbol? It it's looks called, like a Catholic thing. Yeah, it's called the Rain Cross, and um, I should know the history of it a little more. But it was uh, it was like a combination of a Native American symbol from some of the people that were here, and um, the Christian kind of like people that came in to found Riverside. So it's yeah. kind of like a, a mix of of two, I guess, cultural symbols. At least that's what I. That's what I've heard. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but it, but it's on everything. It's on like the the light poles, and people use it for symbols uh, of the business. And a lot of people have rain cross tattoos. Yeah, uh, it's, so it's, it's pretty. Po- it's it's a like a representative, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I think maybe the first time I saw it was the first time I went north of L.A. and down headed towards the grapevine. There's an area where there's a, a lake back there, and they use it like at the front of the lake. Um, huh. And so like something like that, like d- does 
does adding your environment into your work, uh, was that something that you were conscious of doing on purpose? Yeah, for sure. Um, if you look at my work, a lot of times I use kind of like gentle rolling hills, uh, rocks. Uh, and a lot of that is the landscape of Riverside. It's really kind of the landscape of Southern California, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I guess I kind of relate to all of Southern California in a way, like growing up here, living my whole life out here. Um, I'm, I'm no stranger to, uh, to L.A. and Orange County and, you know, the desert, the mountains. Um, you, you're down in San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I go down there, you know, several times a year. So really, like, I, I, love, I love the landscape out here. Um, and, you know, I think I, I took it for granted. Um, I had a, a friend out, uh, Chris Reiniak, who was uh, probably like three or four years ago, and he lives out near Cleveland. And he'd been, he'd been to L.A. before, but he never really drove out towards the the hills and the mountains yeah and and he was just tripping out he was like he was like wow you guys have mountains you know you guys you guys really have mountains out here and, and I was people like, trip out they they don't yeah. realize that uh, you know the the whole west coast you know the 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 pacific lining of of cities are all kind of they people think that it's like some perfect oasis but it's Maybe Oasis is a, a right term for it because, like, for instance, so, like San Diego should just be like high, high desert to ocean. Like, it's a desert. We just if we didn't pump all the water in, it <laughs> we, we it wouldn't be here. So yeah. people trip out that we have that expanse, but it's really kind of a, a, maybe it's a mirage. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't know. All I know is like I, I've been a lot of places around the world, and there's there's just something very special and beautiful about. California. I mean, we have, it's a big state, but we yeah. have, we have mountains and we have beautiful, uh, like forests, the sequoias, you know, I grew up in the East County portion of San Diego, which, uh, is probably about a half hour East of the, you know, downtown area. Right. And that's, it's, it's similar. Like I, I kind of compare it to Riverside to us, totally. you know, it's like that Eastern Ridge that runs up like the middle of California, like you know, yeah. and then find, like like talking to Taylor, like he's on that he was on that border of Arizona and California, which is that's a real oasis where you know real water from the Colorado meets the desert. It's a very interesting right. place too. Is it is there a lot of agricultural stuff still in? You know, Riverside started out as like the home of the Naval Orange. <laughs> yeah, right. And and it was like that's kind of what what built up the Inland Empire and even parts of Los Angeles was the was the big naval orange fields that we had out here. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much. They're all, they're all grown in, like, Florida or uh, South America, Central America. And um, Good old NAFTA. I, I, was just, I was just talking to my wife. I'm like, I'm like, what do people do in Riverside? What, what industry is out here? It's, like, it's kind of like a college town, but it's kind of like a shitty college town. I don't know how to describe it. I've been thinking about that about every city to some extent. True, yeah. Like, it seems like there's less and less private business. There's, you know, practically zero industry in terms of, like, manufacturing. But maybe I'm just, like, seeing that there's no car manufacturing and then just, you know, (laughs) blanketing that over all industry. So there has to be something that's going on. But I was just talking about that last night. Like, what, what is being manufactured? 
to right, like right. it's a, it's a straight because somebody was uh, a, not a whole lot not a whole lot in the united states anymore <laughs> yeah a, a dude moved from new york who is looking to train at my gym and i was talking with him he was like asking about jobs i was like you're talking to the wrong fucking person but <laughs> other than that it's fucking hard as fuck unless you just want to go like work some corporate thing or maybe like a warehouse job so maybe i don't know maybe we're producing bad foods like <laughs> Well, yeah. I know, like out, out here, one of the big, um, the big employers is like that. We got University of California Riverside. We got a couple private colleges, and then um, it's like everyone works for like either like a school district, a college, a hospital, uh, the city, or the county. So it's like we're not really making anything out here. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a weird. It's I and I don't know how. I guess. This is a semi-recent shift, I guess, for maybe our generation, the generation right before, you know, like, it's a it's a weird time in America, but, you know, at the same time, we're moving so fast technologically, I guess we're on some sort of forefront there, maybe. Maybe. But I, how you know, few... I, I talk a lot with my friends here at, at the studio. Um, we talk about how the world's changing and, and uh, like, how fucked up things are, and then but we always kind of come back to like, wow, it's sort of always like that, you know. It's yeah. not like, it's not like the times are any more fucked up than when my parents grew up in the '60s, you know. Yeah, sure. There's so. those those uh, similarities that ring true. It's just different ways. Yeah. I should probably mute my phone for this, huh? If you want to. Uh, <laughs> Who do you I share? A stu- my... You share a studio with Max. I, I share a studio with uh, Max Two Four Two. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, that guy's rad. An artist and tattoo artist uh, named Jason Gallo. Uh, we have this new guy that came in, um, Joe Finstein. He's really cool. And um, there's another friend of ours, Jeff Roboto. So we, we kind of have, there's several of us in this kind of big industrial uh, space. And uh, it's do a lot you, of fun. Do you prefer working with, with other artists in the, in the same space? Or is there, do you ever, like, do you prefer either working alone or with other people? You know? Well, I had my own studio uh, for five or six years, and it got pretty fucking lonely, you know. Yeah, like I, yeah. There'd be times when I, I didn't, like, I didn't have any visitors. Like, no one came by for months. Yeah. And th- there's a certain like freedom to that, you know. Um, I could I painted in my underwear in the summer because I didn't <laughs> have air conditioning. I mean, you can. I could look up the weirdest shit online, and I didn't have to worry about anyone coming into my office, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, so there was like some cool things about that and it was, it was really easy to get work done because it was so, so quiet, you know, Yeah. here it's, it's a little harder to get work done because I got all these, you know, all these friends coming in, we chat and, uh, but there's more of a sense of camaraderie and, um, I think we kind of push each other at the same time. Yeah. There's a thing that happens like a challenging one another in, not in like a, like abrasive way but you know like uh even in conversation like being able to have like a debate over a particular idea could dictate a different pathway that you might take with a certain work or something right right yeah um and yeah we we get into a lot of like weird discussions you know yeah i'm sure and so (laughs) you know it's cool like that weird open sort of mind state that happens after just monotonous work for a, a period of time you know makes right, you think right. about shit weird it's been a long time since i shared a studio with somebody i was just thinking about that like i had i, I shared a studio with this guy that would challenge the fuck out of me all the time <laughs> and it i think it helped improve my work too 
It's yeah. interesting how the, the I think that open mind state can allow for some sharing to happen. You know, almost like a psychic sort of thing, but not so not that kooky. Right, right. You know, yeah. like I agree with that. And I think the other thing, at least for me, and well, everyone here, we all kind of we can bounce ideas off each other. We all have like like different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Max is a he's a really talented um, graphic designer. Uh, he, he works in like, like apparel. So he, he, know, he knows how to make like something pop and he knows how to kind of make something badass looking, you know? Yeah. So I'll, I'll take stuff to him and he'll be like, Oh yeah, you need to fix that line and, and uh, change the color there. And, and then he'll take stuff to me cause I have a totally different eye and it, it, it helps, you know, it helps having someone to bounce shit off of. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you started out in the graffiti world to some extent. Right. To early on in the what, like early nineties? It was uh, I was a freshman in high school, so it was nineteen eighty nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I was really into art. I was really into like like Andy Warhol and um, and all these uh, like Rembrandt, really kind of weird and separate groups of artists. Basically, I was just finding any art book that was at our at our. Um, our high school library, you know? Sure. And, uh, I found, I found a book that was called street art and it wasn't even really about like straight graffiti hip hop style art. It was, it was wheat pasting and, um, a lot of the stuff that was done in the seventies and early eighties. And it what, just really what type of stuff was it? What, what type of stuff was in, was in that book? Like, uh, was yeah. it like protest stuff? Was it actual, like artworks there was yeah there was protest stuff it was just a lot of public art like i I know dan witz had a little like his hummingbirds that he was painting in the 80s that was in the book um barbara kruger had some stuff did you Uh, speaking of barbara kruger did you hear uh about the supreme uh hoopla that's been going on yeah i I saw something about it yeah supreme new york they are suing uh like a fashion designer or maybe even just like you know a t-shirt graphic design artist for they made a supreme bitch shirt this girl i can't remember her name and so they're suing her and so after like the story kind of went through the social media networks barbara kruger chimed in and like left a, like a really punk rock quote about like how fucking hilarious it was that those guys are trying to sue somebody else for stealing a logo right what, you know yeah. When obviously it's pretty fucking obvious where it came from to begin right. with. Right, they totally like stole it from her. Yeah, so. and you know, and she was saying how like that's sort of the joke of a, a lot of what she does. Like it's it's you know, and so I don't I don't know why I brought that up to just throw them under the bus. I was thinking about that yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, what was I talking about? No, I forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot. I totally sidetracked this. Oh, had all kind, all uh, with, shit in it like. It had Barbara Kruger in it, and, yeah. uh, but it also had like Crashing Days and like Phase Two, and and I saw that stuff, and I was like, wow, dude, I want to try that, you know? I got yeah. some spray paint in the garage, and it just kind of, you know, it just kind of took off from there. I was I was really into it. I like the, I did like the destruction, the, the tagging, even though it kind of, honestly, like when I when I would go tagging, I'd kind of feel like shit afterwards, yeah. you know. So that's something that I like to talk to people who did 
graffiti. Uh, like, I think for a lot of people, that idea of destruction comes out of a sort of rebellion against something. Um, but, and then for some people, like you said, you found a book, so there's like this uh this connection to making art like this weird love that even probably i'm sure at that age you didn't quite understand you just knew you liked to do something and it was fun to do maybe not even understand it's hard to understand now but do you feel like you that that destructive act was an act of rebellion or just it came along with you know the act of itself you know like you the you go make it somewhere right right I think at first I just I admired the artwork. You know, I, I thought it was really interesting. The letter forms. You know, I, I think also growing up skateboarding, like you just saw you saw graffiti all over the place in in you know in the skate videos and the magazines. Um, this was like the late '80s, so it was you'd see uh, really cool artwork on the side of like a like a wood ramp, you know, yeah. in like freestyling magazine. Or, <laughs> yeah, which I don't is remembers that, but. Which is there's something there's a sort of uh, delineation there between that type of of work and you know like doing tags and throw ups on the street graffiti or even like doing pieces in yards or whatever like there's a there's right. a difference to that right? Well, I, I started out just doing I, I didn't even know you're supposed to start out doing tagging first. I didn't really know. I I, I went out straight to trying letters. And then um, as I started meeting other kids in my high school that were really into tagging, that's when I, you know, was like, oh, shit, this is fun. Right. <laughs> but I, I think I think also at some point it was like, you know, the early 90s, the economy of Southern California was fucked, sort of how it is now. Um, I, I know my dad, like, lost his job. Like, my family was doing really bad. And I think graffiti kind of made me feel good, you know, because you got all these, like, kids jocking you and... So like I, I didn't have like a shitty home life or anything. Like my parents yeah. were really cool and everything, really supportive. But um, we, it was tough because we were like really poor. Yeah. And then I, you know, I was just this like 14, 15, 16 year old kid with like shitty clothes and like I was just poor. You know, we couldn't, we didn't have any money to do anything. Yeah. But then I had like, I had like like all the graffiti kids at at school jocking me because I did some piece out in some <laughs> field, you know? So I think there's a, there's a part of, part of your ego involved for sure that it just, it feels good, you know, when you're getting recognition at such an early age and, um, and the destruction, I was, I was never really that into the destruction so much. It was more, um, I don't know. I guess I like the accolades from my peers or sure. I, I like, I like making art, you know? Yeah. You'd, you'd and you know, Using that term, even destruction, maybe, you know, put it in quotes, like the idea of maybe destroying social norms or like destroying what rules somebody are going to is somebody is going to dictate on you. Like, it's kind of like that idea of like, fuck you, I'm not going to do what you tell me and like, like write on some shit if I want to just, you know, because really you just paint over it, you know, yeah, yeah, to some extent. It's not like we're like, like really destroying anything or no. harming anybody, you know, but, uh, I, I did, I did kind of destroy one place. A friend of mine and myself, we, we broke into this, uh, abandoned building and we just, we just broke stuff, dude. <laughs> I, I <felt> like... <laughs> That's something so like, 
that like teen angst, like young man between like 16 right. and 19, there's something that happens where it's just like you feel a need to be destructive. I think it's like some old ape gene shit. Like it's like who could be, it might be like a dominance thing. Like who could be like the, the most brazen, you know? I, I think, you know, it, it, it probably just felt good. It was what, what you, like what you said, the teen angst, like it feels good to like destroy a toilet or something, you know, I think break for, a toilet. I think yeah, totally. Like you, you, like the stereotypical story of the kid throwing the the uh, firecracker down the toilet thing or whatever, you know, yes, blowing yes. up the toilet. <laughs> it's 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 so you know repeated. And I think it's for I think it's like the idea of particularly with teen males, it's coming out of that control of your parents, like just the natural like order of of you do what your parents say, or you know, there's a, a a hierarchy at a certain period but then as you start to become a man even though i was just saying like i think everybody's a teenager till they're like 27 you know <laughs> but as you as you start to become a man you want to be able to make your own decisions yeah but yeah. you're still kind of trapped in that gray area of where your parents can still tell you what to do and there's a level of control like here's this thing that i control i get to say how it works and you know and then that also goes back to like defying parents. Like I think that's a big stage of growing up is being able to defy your parents on a different level than you were as a child. Do you did you recognize anything like that? Dude, I, I was always I was so afraid to defy my parents. Not because they were strict, like they were they were like they were not strict at all. Like not strict at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they knew I was doing graffiti, and they didn't know the to the extent of what I was doing, but um, I always tried to make them happy. I think there's still a part of me that I'm trying to, I'm always trying to make them proud of me somehow, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. That's Which a thing, like, too. Yeah. I, I used to feel kind of tethered to that. I'd, I'd do a painting, and I'd, I would instantly think, oh, what, what are my parents going to think of it, you know? Nice. Are they going to, are they going to like this? Are they going to, you know? think it needs some more work <laughs> and I, I learned i mean that not for it hasn't been a, you know that uh it's been a long time since i worried about that but yeah Did fact, one of my one of my art teachers uh when i first got into um uh community college the first art class i ever took i, I was telling her i'm like yeah my mom doesn't really like this one and and she's like she's like don't listen to your mom you gotta <laughs> listen to yourself and it, it it's true you know did you find that uh, she? Did your mom have a like an honest critique? You know, was she like was she willing to tell you the things that maybe somebody else wasn't going to tell you? Yeah, for sure. Like, actually, my dad is really like. I'll show him a painting, and I'll be thinking, "Man, it, that part looks a little unfinished." And he'll he'll tell me, he'll be like, "That looks something's a little wrong right there. Are you going to fix that?" So they're a little blunt sometimes, but but it's helpful, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> to some extent, <laughs> were you? What, did graffiti help influence your painting, or did the painting? Was the painting already starting by the time? I, I kind of started both at the same time. I started. Uh, I did have some art classes in high school, but I, they weren't really. I kind of call them like unofficial art classes. Like we were just kind of left to do whatever we wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I started oil painting and watercolor painting right around the same time I started doing graffiti. So I, I, I think they kind of evolved together. You know, I was, I was trying to do some of the stuff with graffiti that I knew I could do in oil painting and vice versa. So in a way, you know, 
they, they've really they've run tangent with each other now in the the newest I, I don't even call it graffiti I'm not a graffiti artist you know I yeah I paint murals um, I'm not a street artist I'm just I'm just Jeff Soto, the the guy that likes to make art, and sometimes I paint murals, you know. Yeah, it's weird but to start I, classifying things, right? Yeah, I, I I mean I know like street art is a real popular title. Actually, it's I a, don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not t- uh, popular anymore, but it was real popular like five or six years ago. I feel know? like it has a negative connotation now. I don't even know what the hell it is because graffiti artists are calling themselves street artists. Yeah, uh, it's weird to to. I mean, you've been able to take part and witness a good section of art history in that like we've seen this interesting new rise particularly it it's been happening but over the last maybe five years there's been a real interest it seems in collector bases of pulling in people who do big mural works right pulling them into galleries and getting them to make uh smaller works for sale and i've noticed that there's I can tell when somebody who's good at painting things small paints something big and when people who paint something big paint something small, how there's an obvious uh, advantage to each one and a, a comfort right. level in each one. Um, but it's it's been – what do you think as watching this from 89 to now, like this strange rise? Because at – you know, from nine the early 90s to maybe – 2001 street art even even though you found that book in the 70s so let's bump to the 70s to 2001 there there wasn't the air quotes title street art necessarily <laughs> like there was people doing things and it didn't no it didn't really make sense to a lot of people you know in fact let me ask you this do you remember human five from canada sounds familiar Nobody ever fucking remembers them, and it kills me. <laughs> but it's uh, it was three artists from uh, uh, British Columbia, I think. I want to say that oh. that's the, the area. But um, so, what is it? What does it look like from your perspective, looking at this time frame? You know, a lot has changed, but a lot, in a way, has stayed the same. Like that that book was actually called Street Art. <laughs> yeah, that's a that, and it came out. I want to say it came out in like eighty four or eighty five. Yeah, and um. And a lot of the stuff they were doing then, they're they're doing now. Just mural painting, um, you know, weed pasting and stenciling and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think lately it seems like the, and maybe it's because of technology, you know, um, surveillance and and cameras and cell phones. Less people are doing illegal work, you know. Yeah. So it's it's in a way the edge is kind of taken off. You know, it's oh it's yo know, it's street art yo. Know, but then it's like it's a totally like publicly sanctioned, like ten story building, you know, that someone's painting, and it's like, is it street art or is it just a mural now? You know, why can't it just be a mural? Why does it have to be street art? Yeah, it's weird. I, I think it's almost like it's it's the marketing, it's the the selling of it has to have a title. Uh, right. But as humans, we're so apt to. Uh, compartmentalize things or you know classify and group things in certain ways i think it's just how our brain works yeah i think so i i mean we we totally want to categorize artists and and different genres of art um you know whatever (laughs) do do you ever do that to yourself like if you ever have to like describe to people do you feel like you does it i think for me it's hard because i 
like for the longest time and even now I'm, I'm still unsure of kind of where I fit in, you know, cause I had roots in graffiti. I was doing like the hip hop style graffiti letters up until like 2000. Yeah. I was also doing, I, I'm an illustrator. So I have, you know, stuff that's a little more, um, I guess commercial. I, I paint, I show work in, uh, in galleries and museums and I'm starting to paint murals now. And, uh, I just do all kinds of different things, and sometimes I feel like my style is uh, is jumping around all over the place from year to I, year. You know, I think that's a common <laughs> I, I think thing. You do that too, man. Yeah, I'm all over the place, and I, I like that. I think, like at least for me, and maybe for you, I, I need to jump around. I get I get really bored if I'm just painting the same shit. Yeah, like year after year. And yeah, I, I try. I try to keep my style. I try to contain what I'm doing so it doesn't change that much. Because some people really dislike that, you know. Uh-huh. But I just, I just gotta paint what I what I paint. I went back uh-huh. and and looked through your website. Um, I've been following your work since I think you you did the potato stamp show at New Image, I guess, right, two thousand right. two thousand one around there. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I went back and started looking through stuff and. You could see the progression. I t- actually talked to Joshua Petker about this, like because his work seems to have made a dramatic change in the last couple of years. But when you look at it in succession, you see the lineage. You know, uh-huh. you see the commonalities. But I, I noticed uh, some shifts in what you do uh, in like tonally, like the. Like the early stuff was really like a yellow tone, and there was yeah, a there yeah. was a. I think what I really enjoyed at that time was like the amount of work you put in specifically for that show, like the amount of work you put into the installation. I feel like that was the first time, like like around that time frame, was like seeing something like that where people really like put a hand into right, you know. And I feel like at that time I was seeing a lot of group shows, so. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to to see that type of installation in San Diego, anyway. You know, yeah. And yeah. that was almost the internet was flowing, but it wasn't like everybody was on the internet and like checking shit out. Like there was not nearly the amount of accessibility as there is now. But yeah. um, and uh, something I, I wanted to say, like the 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 roughness of that show, like the idea that you could use all that like found wood and like fuck shit up. Like I still, I think I was probably influenced by that. Like in the way that I like to fuck shit up now, like have it, there is almost like a, I think there is a level of, um, taking it off like a high, uh, what's the, let's see if I could phrase this right. Like, um, taking off a high pedestal, like there was something accessible to it for me as, you know, like a, 21 year old right well you know that show um marcia goldberg who is the owner of that gallery she kind of took a chance on me and that was actually like my first big or my first show really my first solo show i ever did um it opened i want to say it opened like september 9th or something like that oh close to yeah it it opened like a few days before september 11th Uh and um so that that show is pretty special in my mind because it, uh, just the timing of it. And, uh, but the roughness, I think, you know, I was, I was still at art center. I was a student and I had these 
very groundbreaking teachers. You know, I had Jason Holly and the Clayton brothers and um, Maria Rendon and uh, I'm leaving some people out. Alex Gross was, was rad, but he was, he was kind of on a different thing. Uh, but they, all, all these, all these teachers were using like pieces of wood and they were, they were kind of painting in a rough style. Uh, and so I was very much like reacting towards that, you know, sure. like, as you do, as you do when you're a student, you know, you, you kind of pick up on what your teachers are doing. Uh, but also, I think a few months before the show, I went down to New Image Art, and um, there was this show by Rich Jacobs. Have you, have you interviewed him on here? No, I haven't. Um, and I know Rich. I, I've seen him. A, I haven't seen him in a long time, but I saw him last time I was in San Francisco. Is he, does, does he live in San Francisco now? I, I believe so, yeah. At least the last um, time I saw him. I haven't seen him for years, but um, but he did a show and it was all like like pieces on found wood and it was kind of like a it, it was like the whole thing was was an, a, a rad installation and there was so much to look at and I I, I totally picked up from that. I don't want to say I, I copied it, but I, I guess I kind of did copy. Was that the um, one that was in the <laughs> when they were in that upstairs like office area? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so. I went to that show too. Because Rich, I mean, he was doing a lot of stuff in San Diego, too, at that time. Right, right. I think he probably did a show at, like, the luggage store. and uh, But I was just inspired by so many of the artists that Marcia was showing. I, I believe she was showing Taylor McKimmons, and um, she had Margaret Kilgallen in there. And uh, just, I, I can't name them all. There were so many. Yeah. Um, but that show really... That was kind of like my start, so that's that's cool that you went and saw that. That was a yeah. long time ago, man. Yeah, I know. It's uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. Like thinking back, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it kind of doesn't. You know, like this last decade, that was actually like about I guess eleven or twelve years ago. Yeah, it seems like but the two thousands. Like we're still supposed to be in the inside the two thousand tens. Dude, 2013. Doesn't that sound like so futuristic? Yeah, it's gonna be. In fact, it's the <laughs> I, there was the meme that was going around that it was the day that Michael J or the year that Michael J. Fox traveled to the future. I think it was oh, last yeah. month. It was like yeah. the actual day that everyone's posting. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so where's my flying skateboard? I know, right? I, I, you know, it's fucking the future. Like just that we're having this conversation like this in such a way is really a, an obvious. Like this is actually pretty Back to the Futurey. Like the dude that fires him, like in Back to the Future Two, his boss fires him over the, you know, the video screen. I think a lot about 1984 too, especially with this little eyeball camera up here on the top of my screen, just <laughs> sitting here watching me every day. It's fucking. Right. It's, right. it's almost creepy. You ever covered up? Oh fuck yeah, yeah. I sometimes I hear so many stories like, like if I say like a a key word that like it makes me think like oh I could be being listened to and you know like I'm a paranoid stoner too so like you know I get high and then I'm like oh don't want to fucking be watched or heard and then when you're watching porn or whatever too you got to cover it up dude I always like if I'm watching porn I'll take like a little like post-it note and just kind of fold it over and. Ah, that's the, the move. The that's the move. I don't know why. I don't know why the anybody would be interested in watching something like that. Because that, that that would just that's like you at your most uh, your most uh, vulnerable. Like yeah, you could be like blackmailed <laughs> or something. But think about that. Like I wonder if we get to a point like where enough people are just like, 
well, fuck it. I, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. Like, if people were not ashamed of, like, the natural human sexuality that happens, like, would we be less apt to be worried about that? Like, would that be one less stress to care about, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think people are always going to be, like, that's that's a pretty private thing, you know? I think people are always going to be sort of guarded about that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you all my secrets, you know? No, I hope not. <laughs> Keep them to yourself. Yes. Unless they're really juicy, then we'll put them on the air. Maybe. There's, there's juicy ones, you know, but... <laughs> so how do you feel like you're, you've progressed since then? You know, like, it's funny, like, you could see... Do you ever look back at, like, your old shows and see how maybe there was imperfections that aren't noticeable to other people, like... Do you ever go back and look at your own evolution in in yeah, that sort yeah. of range? Yeah, you know, you brought up like the roughness and what I was doing. The roughness. That sounds funny. You brought up the roughness. <laughs> Is the that? About, are we talking about porn still? Or we are. We are. <laughs> um, but I think back in like the early, you know, two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four. I, I had, I kind of developed almost like a formula for how I wanted to work and. It, you know, my paintings are selling, so I just kind of kept following this formula. I'd, I'd collage some stuff on, I'd splatter some paint, maybe some spray paint, um, paint some robots, and uh, put some gloss on it, send it off to the gallery, and I, I, it would sell, you know? It almost became too easy. It, it wasn't challenging, and then people started going, oh, you're the guy that paints the robots. <laughs> like, wait, wait, I'm... I, I thought I was doing more than that. You know, wait, I'm just the guy that paints robots. Yeah. I'm just the fucking guy that paints robots. I'm the go-to guy for robot paintings. <laughs> so at some point, and I tend to do this occasionally, at some point I I was like, I got to change it up, man. Like I ha- I do have a formula and it's it's not challenging me. And so I usually would, I would go against that. I'd be like, okay, I can't do any collaging. I'm not going to like sand any of the edges. I'm just going to, I'm just going to paint. And then it seems like I do stuff like that for a while. The, the last thing I did, it was a few years ago, I noticed that I was falling into kind of a formula and I decided to go, like, I guess back to the basics. Mm-hmm. So I decided to, to go, okay, I'm just going to do pure painting. I'm going to start with a really nice canvas or a really nice um, panel, pristine, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint it and uh, I'm not going to do any kind of like what I, what I felt at the time was like gimmicky stuff. I'm not going to, I'm just going to paint. I'm just going to, so I, I was almost like trying to paint the shit that I couldn't paint like in high school, you know, like, yeah. like really rendered stuff and, you know, background and foreground and, and looking at the composition and, and figuring out all the colors, kind of like a, more of a traditional way of painting, you know? Yeah. And, but now I've, I've been doing that for a few years and now I feel like, I feel like painting really, really fucking loose. I yeah, guess. that's funny, huh? It's always uh, grass is greener on the other side after a little while. And it's weird because I've actually felt like painting loose the last year or so, and I think the last show I did, which was last June, was probably like one of the tightest group of paintings I've ever done. So it's like I, I can't get away from it. You know? Yeah, it's hard to dictate what what's actually going to happen when you get down to the actual work. You know, like there's a it, it's almost hokey, but there's almost like a letting go. And like yeah. the work almost makes itself to a certain extent. Is that do you yeah, agree with that? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I'm 
yeah i mean i just try to I, I i'm trying to make something beautiful when i paint and and sometimes my my uh hand just kind of does it on its own yeah you know? it does what it wants and like, it's hey, that that painting was supposed to be really loose and yeah like, painterly and, and a lot of brush strokes and sloppy and yeah and you know what i mean is that like after you've started something like you the puzzle starts to play itself out you know and you see something that needs to be a certain way for it to look right like you know your eye sort of instinctively knows how something is supposed to be as you start to build it or it kind of you know like those little problems come up where you're like okay i need to solve this problem with this thing and it's almost like it it has a tendency you build the foundation and it starts to build itself sometimes. Yeah, totally, and, man. Like I, the way I usually work is I, I do a really loose sketch and it, it's really loose. It's like, you couldn't even tell what it was if you're looking at it. <laughs> yeah. And then when I start painting, I don't have any plan for like the colors or anything like that. And I paint very reactionary. I'll start, I'll start working on something. And then if it just doesn't look right, I'll paint over it and, I don't really stick to the plan necessarily. Yeah. So it's it's fun, it's dynamic, it's it's it keeps me on my toes and the sucky thing is I end up sitting and just like looking at the painting like probably half the time. And I'll that's and I think that's the thing. That's where you're where that's the moment where the painting's building itself where you just stare at it with that that sort of numb dumb look. You know, I'm I'm projecting my experience, obviously, but like the idea of just sitting there and staring at it for a while, like kind of like letting your eyes unfocus sometimes. Like, yeah, it's almost like a daydream sort of stare. Like if you were just sort of daydreaming somewhere, like looking at something, and it kind of oh. it, it seems to build itself from there. It's a very strange moment sometimes, and it takes that. It seems to you have to sit there and stare at it for a while. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I know you, a lot of painters, and some of them, some of them are the complete opposite. They'll plan everything out and meticulously paint it out, and and then some don't have a plan at all. You know, so yeah. I'm kind of in the middle somewhere. I think that's why it's fun to just get loose and do different things, like you're talking about. Like, uh, I think it's important to allow yourself those those moments. Like, I I related to when I'm painting something tight, my hand is really scrunched and down towards the bristles of the brush. Or if I'm painting something loose, my arm is just out dangled and in the air holding the very end of the brush and just wiggling it around, you know? So, like, right, right. I think having both of those options are, are important. I've, I've started getting into a level of abstraction just for that, like, just being sick of having that formula, like you said. Even though, yeah. you know, talking about that formula idea, I think part of that becomes important for putting in the work like you have you know the sort of steps that you need to take and it's it's what happens in between those steps that sometimes becomes important yeah, yeah. but there is that like once you've figured out the math problem I, that's how i sort of relate okay. to it to a math problem once you've like got all the numbers crunched it's time for a new problem you know yeah but it, it and it's crazy because some artists if you look at their work over the last decade in some cases it hasn't really changed that much but it works for them you know yeah that's a weird uh, it's a weird dichotomy between totally, man. yeah totally. and I, I actually really admire a lot of those artists that that have kind of stuck to the same kind of icon iconography or um way of working all these years because i wish i could do that you know i you think know? about that a lot like i think that there's there's different types of artists like 
there's you know like there's artists like who need a lot of attention that like came up from like a bad childhood where like they need something there's there's some artists who are like nine to fivers you know like who would do whatever job it just so they so happen to do art and they go to the studio they work nine to five and you know, go home and have like a normal life, you know, then there's like the wild eccentrics who are like, <laughs> maybe like partly autistic or like, you know, <laughs> or have Asperger's and can like draw a city by just looking at it or whatever, you know, like there's, there's some very strange, uh, groupings again with the grouping, but like, I've noticed this, especially talking to artists now, like on, like for this long, like I could see there's little subgroupings, but I think in a lot of cases we grab from each one of those sort of subgroups yeah, sometimes, or yeah. like multitudes of them, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're we're very like you know artists as a group. We're we're such a diverse fucking group, man. I mean, it's it's just like musicians or uh, or any other kind of art. We're just we're such a diverse group. We all do different uh, things. Your beard is serious. You you remind you, like you, you kind of remind me of um, the dude from Vice. What's his name? Shane Smith. You kind of look like Shane Smith right now. Huh. You, you have you watched any of the? Do you watch any of the Vice documentaries? Dude, that I, I watch. I watched a couple of them, and I found them like I was like, dude, the world's fucked. Yeah, I fuck world. this. <laughs> and you know, I I used to worry a lot about like about how things are going in the world, politics. Um, the country i was very like i was very up on all of it uh but i got i got two little kids i got two little girls and it's I, it's it's sad but i kind of don't give a shit as much as i used to like yeah. my my priority is just like take care of my family like be a good dad and it's like i don't got time <laughs> yeah. for all the depressing shit you know yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that <laughs> yeah it's a i i feel like it's a new stress to a certain extent on humankind, like knowing what's happening in the other valley and then the other valley and almost, you know, the, the way that we're able to see video, like live feeds oh, yeah. of like really horrific shit. Right. I think it's building a new stress. It's either one, like really hurting people or two, it's exposing enough truth so that hopefully these things will cease to happen in the future. I, I think it's a good thing. I think I think that we have access to all this information can only be good. Um, but you always have to be careful where you're getting the information from, of course. And uh, like in my case, like I, I I like reading all that stuff and I like knowing what's going on. But I I don't know. There's just a part of me that it just stresses me out too much, and I don't want to think about like fucking kids with guns and yeah uh, like. Just all the bad shit going on, you know, around the world. Yeah, it's hard so, to do. I I feel like if you're able to, it's probably most healthy to avoid it if possible. I th- maybe I don't, I don't know. know. It's hard to say. That. Yeah, I think it's. I think I'm just going through a stage where I, I, I was like, reading and watching so much of that stuff for so many years, uh, that I'm just kind of like I don't know, maybe like numb to it, and I'm just. I'm like, yeah, the world's fucked up. What yeah. are you gonna do? You know? Yeah. There's as long a... as I'm feeding my kids and, and providing them with, with uh with all everything they need and taking care of them. That's that's my little mini world that I'm that I'm 
happy about. And... Yeah, you keep a sort of priority <laughs> bubble around what's yeah, important. Yeah, priority bubble. I like that. Yeah, that's that's a, probably a, it's, that's probably the the healthy way to go about it. I find myself diving deep into it. Like, Dude, it's crazy because like like as and I'm sure you go through this too. As a freelancer, like it's stressful enough just paying the bills and and like I mean I, I do all right, but I. There's times when I don't have paychecks for months and months and months or anything going on, you know, um, and kind of the stress of that, the stress of like family and family members, sure. uh, just all the shit going on, going on, like in your kind of like local bubble. Mm-hmm. So I guess you have your, what was it called? The the bubble you just said? Priority bubble. The priority bubble. Then you have like kind of like your outer like family bubble and work bubble. Uh-huh. And then you have like the really crazy shit way out there. All the try to keep it out there. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do. I watch the news and read the news a lot, and I, I I stay up on current events and all the all the wars going going on around the world and all the all the bad shit. But they just, I just they just there's did nothing a, you can do about it, man. Like yeah. I, I used to think, like as an artist, dude, if I if if I'm uh, painting about these problems, people are going to see it. People are going to go to the gallery and and. Uh, you know, start thinking of solutions or it's going to open their eyes to the problems of the world, but not really. Cause they already, the people that go to art galleries are already kind of like clued in on that stuff. It's almost like, like, or, oh, yeah, he's... <laughs> sometimes people don't even fucking get it. Right. Like right. you, I feel, I, I feel like I, for a while there, like I was really interested in American history and I, I needed, like, I had this like, uh, need to share knowledge that i gained by looking into it like like an obsessive artist who like has to find every little small detail about a particular topic or whatever and when i presented the work it didn't it wasn't what i was trying to get across didn't necessarily get across so it's like there's this weird need like it's obviously a lot of times it's personal education but like as painters, I think sometimes, or even as people who are storytellers or like you know journalists, maybe like they want to share this story. Even like songwriters, you know, like sometimes I find this like I, I compare painting and songwriting a lot, like just in terms of like how they're both sort of mythological and have uh, metaphors, and you know the story isn't necessarily like right in your face. But it seems sometimes like it's a lot easier for words and songwriting to make a direct connection with somebody, whereas totally, art man. art is so aesthetically pleasing to people that I think they they that a majority of people, myself, I think even included, are more inclined to be interested in an aesthetic value than the actual historic value or maybe even the moral or ethic of or you know the message that's being shared i I think i don't know i think painting can be i guess i'm thinking of it in terms of like what's what's really emotional to me Mm -hmm. painting can be pretty emotional you know i've seen like i've seen van gogh paintings where i'm like oh shit like you can kind of see like the pain and torment he was going through or whatever but I can kind of count those those painting experiences on like one hand. Yeah. But with with music, and even like like uh, movies, you know, they can really like get you pissed off. They can make you cry. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I've ever cried looking at a painting, but there's there's songs that come on if I'm playing my uh, my 
iTunes on random, then I'm like, oh, ne- next song, next song. I don't want to fucking cry today. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, sure. Like songs, songs bring back like memories of like people that passed away, like yeah. people that you love. Um, and Even I a smell or something that you recognize, like a song brings out like other senses. It's very it's strange. And what do you yeah. think the difference is? Why? Why is it that even though I think that a lot of times anyone who's creative, I think a lot of artists in general are, are, are saying the same things, like relating to the same environmental stresses or issues and, and are portraying those things in their work, but it just connects on some different level. I, maybe it's, again, instinctual from like a young age. Like Maybe music has been more important in human society more than fine art, I guess. Maybe, maybe we see beautiful things all the time, and maybe we don't hear beautiful things all the time. Maybe that's a good point. I don't know, man. Uh. But maybe it's just it's particular to the person because I've I've had this conversation with people, and they said, "Oh no, no, there's paintings that have made me very emotional, and I've, I've I, you know, they're very powerful paintings, just as powerful as, as songs." Yeah, I, so I, I I don't know. I got those same weird feelings when I saw Van Gogh's paintings, but it feels like it's more about knowing the history, which is something right. I've been thinking about about art these days. Like, there's a I, I talk about this a lot, like how like rich collectors, you know, like the rich ultra wealthy who are buying expensive works, are in some way buying a piece of the artist culture, like what they've been through. And then on some level, the artists are taking a little bit from the ultra wealthy culture and are uh, sharing that with them. But so what I've been thinking about is like how much how much does a person's story relate to how somebody relates to their work? Right. So like if, you know, thinking about maybe like the eccentric dolly type artist, you know, like somebody who's off the normal societal patterns and is like you know crazy and says wild shit and goes and does like mass media and those sorts of things like how much does that play into what we think about the work well i i don't know i think i think there's two ways to look at it like you could look at art as uh as eye candy you know if if it's uh if it's beautiful and that's all it is then i think that's valid and that's okay uh, right I think it doesn't have to have rules, but but there's also like like the context that is painted in that could be like it could be a painting that's not very you know full of technical skills or it's not really super interesting to look at look at but if the context is really interesting and you know that context it could be a very powerful piece like for myself I kind of like a mix of both you know um, I, I like I like a little bit of eye candy I like a, a beautiful looking painting or sculpture. or or even like song, you know, and I like it to have some content to kind of back it up, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't even know if that answered the question. No, well, I think but, so. I, I guess like I, I think that there's probably some. I, I say there's some validity to that. Like I, I, I'm probably the same way. Like I like the freak show, and I like you know things that look pretty too. You know, like that's what I'm saying. Like that, like just visual aesthetic that sometimes the I think that grabs 80% of the people like, and then it's also the magic sometimes, right? Like for people who don't know how to make things, like I, I always bring this up that it's like an eye trick, like tricking somebody 
into thinking something's three-dimensional on some cases that's actually not you know like the 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 mystery behind ooh, how did they do that and you know like i always see i can always tell when an artist is looking at a painting if i'm at a museum or like at a gallery or something they'll always you know most people will stand and look at the painting from the front but an artist will go and look from like 45 degree angle like at the paint you know a certain way like look to see where the differences in tonality is and like how things are structured and built but i think for the general viewer who's just interested in how things look pretty or the mystery of how things get built that that could be the the entertainment for just again another air quote you know if if we can classify that as something entertaining you know i i noticed that when when I go with my wife to an art show or a gallery, I saw your dog back there. Yeah, it's my little Boston Terrier. He's crazy. <laughs> um, when we when we go see art, she notices totally different things than I do. She'll she'll notice um, like the the really obvious stuff. You know, she, like oh that's a Bible story or oh that's um, you know she'll she'll notice like the story of it. Yeah. And I I tend to look at the technique like what you're saying. I. I I don't really notice. Maybe I'm just not spending enough time with the painting, or I'm, I'm kind of dense. But a lot of times, I just I'm looking at how they did it. You know, uh-huh. how, what kind of I wonder what kind of paint they use. What did they paint that on? Is it canvas or a piece of wood? And I think you know. that's a, a stereotypical inquisitiveness in people who create things. Like I think you have to have that type of mentality, like the kid who breaks open the you know whatever electronic you have to try to figure out how it works, even though you know you're just gonna break it. <laughs> you know, like there's an inquisitiveness from creative types that I found is pretty pretty inherent. Yeah, I mean, have you been like that your whole life? You know, like yeah, questioning I've always, everything. I've always been inquisitive. Um, I mean. And, and things, I, I'm, I'm actually more inquisitive about things that don't have anything to do with art. You know, I, I've been reading a lot of a lot about history the last five or six years. I've really gotten into that. I think as I've been traveling around the world and seeing other cultures and seeing some of these landmarks. Yeah, you were just you know, in like, Berlin, right? Yeah, I was just in Berlin. And one of the things that really struck me about that city was all the all the bullet holes in, in the old buildings. Yeah. Like there's not a lot left, but you'll be walking by and you'll see an old brick building and you'll just see like, like all these holes, uh, right by where a window is. Do you feel like uh, being there? I, do you feel like the culture is sort of still in shock from world war two and the Nazi era? Do you feel like they're coming out of that? Cause, because a lot, I don't know if a lot of people know, but Berlin and Germany in general was, was super progressive prior to i think prior to world war one even you know like they were far ahead of everybody else in terms of like gay rights uh women's rights and equality issues and um like social issues prior to i think it's prior to world war one uh but don't quote me but so like and then you get hit with you know if a, a particular culture gets hit with something as dramatic as being labeled nazis for you know still people make those types of jokes right like if you're talking about germans there's a tendency for people to make nazi jokes still so i wonder what type of sort of effect that has on a culture over time because i've seen like the 9-11 effect over our culture over the last 13 years and that's not near i mean it's dramatic obviously but not i i feel like if you compare it to world war ii it's probably a, a much more dramatic 
environment to be in that type of war. Maybe it's unfair to compare the two, but you know, it, for those people, it's clearly a dramatic, traumatic experience. And those things, even though it's probably not the same people, most of those people have probably passed away by now. Um, I think genetically, some of those things stick with people over time. You know, like the, what happened to your ancestors, or or what your even what your ancestors did to other people could play some effect culturally um did you do you recognize any i I guess you'd have to have a frame of reference obviously but yeah i mean i have only been there once and it everyone you know it seemed like just a western city seemed like a big western city it seemed like i could have been in new york or london really and it was i mean there's some some peculiarities you know like the, the accent people have and stuff like that but everyone spoke english and it was just, it just seemed like, <laughs> like I, I didn't even, it didn't make me think of World War II at all. And I don't know if anyone did. I mean, we, we were hanging out with mostly like, you know, artistic people and yeah. kind of like free thinkers. Well, that's a what, lot of like young people. There's so been I, a big I, buzz about the, about Berlin over, you know, the last 10 years, like a lot of like artists moving there and, you know, I think affordable studio spaces and a sort of an appreciation for the works being made there a lot of people move there and you know a lot of people are showing there and and it, there's been some buzz around the city so i'm wondering if like if that if, if it's a new cultural shift that's taking place like because i've only just heard about it you know like the way things have been going in the last decade or whatever you know like i, I don't know I, I know there is a ton of artists that live there mm-hmm. and there i met a lot of people that that were uh, like moving from um See, so one one woman just moved from uh, Canada. Um, there was someone who was living there that was from Spain. So yeah, I think it's 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 almost like a little arts magnet right now. Yeah, a little hub. Just from what I know, I mean, I was only there like six days, but yeah, I'd uh, like to go. It was cool, and it, if you go, you should definitely um, go see some of the historic sites. Yeah, because it, it it really kind of. You know, walking around Berlin, you don't really like. You don't really think about. Oh shit! This is this city was like destroyed. Yeah, the city was like like totally destroyed. Yeah, it's I I had I have a big collection of historic photos, and I have a, a set of like buildings from that time period. And it's fucking it's intense, man. I got the same kind of feeling, uh, like walking through London, but yeah. with London, there's even less. There's like nothing left that they would kind of show what happened to the to the city in World World War Two. You know? Yeah. There probably is some stuff, but I didn't see anything. It's just all new buildings, and that's kind of kind of how Berlin is too now. Yeah. Um, you when you were out there, you did a, a big mural with uh, Max, right? Right. And uh, and did you? What was there a conference? Of the yeah yeah. What was it's it called, uh, Pictoplasma? Uh, Pictoplasma, and it's kind of like a character based uh, festival um, where people do lectures, and there's a lot of workshops and. Uh, I got invited out and I asked them, I said, Hey, do you guys have like a wall I can paint on? Cause you know, it's, some of my old, my, my graffiti mentality still comes out. You sure. Know? Yeah. There's something really fun and exciting about painting really big. So, and you know, there's also something exciting about painting for everyone, not the select right. few that go into a gallery or, you know, museum or whatever. Right, it was very much for everyone, and uh, it's already getting tagged on and stuff. And yeah, that's great, right? 
It actually looks kind of cool because we painted we painted it right over the graffiti. So we didn't we didn't paint out the wall. We wanted it to be uh, kind of like our characters coming to life in Berlin. Yeah. So we just we just left the background exactly how it was. So now it looks like they're kind of they're kind of encased in graffiti because there's graffiti behind them and graffiti in front. I love that shit, man. Like I love, and I think that sort of harkens back to like the the 2001 show where there's a sort of la- layering effect that that happens naturally on, on the street, and that's something that I always appreciated from a, even a young age, like seeing the graffiti on the trolley line or whatever, like the layering yeah. process of things. Like there's something about seeing people's hand in nature, or you know, in in what is a sort of constructed world now, you know, like everything sort of like Legoed together, you know, it's, it's nice to see or manufactured, you know, like some sort of everything's machined in some way. Like it's definitely, definitely still excites me when I see graffiti, especially like here in Riverside, because it's so, uh, it's so rare, you know, there's like cameras on the freeways and on all buildings and some kid right. did a big piece right down the street from my house on this big wall that uh-huh. it's total it's terrible it's it's not terrible it's not that good though you know but I love it like I drive by and I see it up right. there behind the trees I'm like fuck yeah like it, it's a, it's it's like a sign of like hey like people are doing shit that's outside the the norm and it's interesting and, to see the new wave of kids coming up now I feel like I'm seeing a generational shift you know I I probably came into the scene like 99 98 so like you know you got to witness a generation based almost two generational shifts right like out of the 80s graffiti into like how 90s got all wild and now like seeing all these kids come up is like and i say kids like 21 year olds you know 20 year olds 19 year olds it's it's it makes me feel almost a little old but like watching it is like it there's a nostalgia to it. Yeah, it's weird because they don't. A lot of the kids don't have the same graffiti, kind of like the hip hop style. You they can't. You foundation. can't. So they're they're coming in like they're they're like, oh, I want to be a street artist, and they just they they're looking at all these like street art guys that do the festivals and and you know these kids have grown up on the internet. That's what's the the interest. Right. That's the really the the sort of the breaking point. The uh, the sort of delineation line like the people who grew up at, for a chunk of their life without the internet and you know you had to get graffiti magazines or like zines that people sent to one another or photos that got sent to one another to see all these things or you had to go to the cities which I mean is not plausible for everybody like it's hard to travel it's expensive so like there's a it's interesting to see what effect that has on this new generational shift because they've all grown with it their entire life and they've all been familiar with all the big stars throughout whether that's negative or positive i i think there's no way for us to expect that they'll they would have been able to do it the same way as somebody who came up in the 80s like they yeah just the, a the internet time changed so much i mean i, I teach a uh, I teach a painting class every semester here at, uh, at the community college in Riverside. And it's funny because I'll ask the students, like, hey, what, what artist do you like, you know? And it's always like, it's like me, it's like Crayola, it's like um, Audrey Kawasaki, um, and there's a couple others. It's always like four or five artists. Yeah. And I'm always, I'm always like, well, what about like, what about like the masters? 
and they're like, oh well, yeah, those are, they're cool. They don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They don't know. They don't know anything about what what happened um, like five years before today. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. They're looking at like they're looking at the David Cho stuff. They're looking at like they're just looking at like like very uh, contemporary things, and I feel like they're missing out on a whole like a whole other group of artists. That's I mean, another sort of side aspect of of the internet cult, the internet age really like there's such an inundation of of imagery and you know pieces like it seems like it's harder for artists to stay in here's another air quote limelight for <laughs> long periods of time and even in music too like i found this in popular music like there's only certain little chunks of time it seems like for and you know I'm, this is a very broad statement there's obviously people who who do things differently but it for a lot it seems like recently in in this culture that there's a lot of people who come and go but of course there's always going to be the people who are workers and are you know stick with it and keep doing what they're doing even if it's not in so much of the the mass media culture of of internet art blogs and reports and stuff that's you know that's why i I like do even though like i i'm the same way like uh, all the artists that i've liked are the people who i get on the show you know like (laughs) so it's well you can't it's not like you can interview rembrandt now yeah (laughs) yeah right i could try van gogh and (laughs) somebody asked that question like who would you interview maybe i asked that my own maybe i asked that on my own but i i uh i want to interview drur or maybe even like mc escher Uh Like yeah, that that show would be weird. Yeah. Do you know the artist um, Max Ernst? Uh, I know the name. I can't you should, picture you imagery. Look this stuff up. It's like it's uh, surreal. It's. it's I know really, that I'll uh, know it when I when I Google it. I'm so terrible with names. Yeah, but E A R N S T. Don't don't Google it because you'll get like four or five images. That that's the other thing that <laughs> I'm I'm all like like. Hey, all these young whippersnappers—they need to go get books. Well, get uh, dude, true. I I use I've used the library system for all my books, DVDs, and CDs for like the past eight years. Because in San Diego, I can get through the internet on going through the library system. I can get books from all the major universities, so SDSU, oh, UCSD, yeah. um, even to the smaller colleges, and all of the library system in San Diego County. So. Like all the books that come in, I can have them shipped right there. But so I'll, I'll definitely I'll go get the I'll get for a book. Any of you young young listeners out there, I mean, Wikipedia is cool. Like if you're looking up an artist, but you're going to get a little bit of information. The nice thing about a book is, and it takes time. I know we live in like a fast paced mm-hmm. culture. You know, no one has like like a week to read a big old thick book. But but you're really going to get a lot more information on on an artist, and you're going to see like hundreds of their images. Uh, you just don't really get that same thing with looking up someone on Google, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's the, uh, the, um, oh, what is the phrase? What's the phrase when you, you give like a, a piece of advice to the public? It's, uh, like they do them on the, um, a public service announcement. Public, yeah. That's the public service announcement for today. The get more books. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right, Jeff. Well, Hey, I want to thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Let's um, let's fun. let's plug some of your stuff so people can go find you on the interwebs if they they don't already find you. You're on the Facebooks and Twitters, right? 
Yeah, find me on Facebook. Just look up my name. Um, Jeff Soto Art, I think is what it is. I'm on Instagram, I believe, as Jeff Soto Art as well. Because someone took my name. What the fuck? Somebody was breaking my balls recently for using the... Because I use Mike Maxwell Art, because somebody already has Mike Maxwell. And they like they were trying to claim that I was being douchey because I was like adding the art to like show everybody that I was an artist, like to prove it or whatever, you know, in a title. But it's really just because they fucking jacked that. I, shit. I was bummed when I when I finally figured out Twitter. I was like, okay, Jeff Soto, and there was some Jeff Soto already. I was like, no. Was it somebody who was a, another Jeff Soto, or was it like a fake I, Jeff Soto account? No, it was a Jeff Soto. I think they, I think they do like computer programming or web design or something. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a realtor in Colorado who has MikeMaxwell.com, and I want to choke the shit out of him because he doesn't even use it. He just has like one little splash page, and that's it. Oh, I hate that. But you know, like, hey, I, the good the thing I feel good about is I bought the domain name. If that counts for anything. I got jeffsoto.com, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, all that's... the Jeff Soto's out there that are, that are trying to get it. I, I have it through like 2030 or something like that. So nice. You guys nice. can all suck a turd. <laughs> all you other Jeff Soto's. Cool. But, no, I don't know if there's anything else to plug, dude. Um, uh, my homies here: Max two four two, Jason Gallo, Joe Stein, um, Jeff Roboto. My brother Tim, he helps out here. Tim's like the shit. Nice. And uh, my wife, dude, my wife Jennifer, dude, she's the shit, dude. Rad. She's so rad. I actually I was thinking about her a lot because uh, listening to your podcast because you talk about exercise a lot. Uh-huh. Uh You do like you do. I do jujitsu. Jujitsu. Yeah. Okay. Similar she, to judo. Yeah, she doesn't. She just started like running a lot, like the last uh, during this last year and. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of lazy. She was lazy too, but she just changed like everything about her life, like <clears throat> the way she eats and. So good to see. It's a lot of people are doing the same thing. It's inspiring, man. It's yeah. inspiring, and I I just I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to. I, I keep telling her, I'm like, you're my Jedi master. <laughs> I'm your Padawan learner. Like, well, man, if I would highly suggest jujitsu if you want to do something. So, like, I'm the type. Like, I don't know if you ever do any other sports or like any other like activities that. Do you do any activities that make you feel the same way as like when you're making art, like the sort of obsessive? Um, like, you gotta. I mean, I I go skateboarding occasionally, and that is always that just brings you back to when I was like 13. You know. Yeah. Well, um, jujitsu, it's like a puzzle. So it's like. I I go there and I feel like I'm more doing exercise with my brain and right. secondarily I'm getting the the body exercise and and you know the cardio and all that shit like that's all secondary to like having fun and trying to like figure out this weird puzzle that's like human chess. Yeah, yeah. I I do I, I highly know. recommend it even though it seems dangerous to a lot of people like with the chokes and the, like breaking fingers or you know like having something get hurt like it's it's not as dangerous as it seems like it is and it's it's a lot of fun really well like, you got, i'm sure you guys are like you have some restraint it's not like you're trying to break fingers I yeah mean, yeah <laughs> if you, a finger gets broken occasionally then so be it right you could get your <laughs> finger broken in a door or whatever you know like it could happen anywhere accidents happen yeah yeah you know i go um one thing i do and I haven't been doing it as much. I've been really busy, but I go walking at night um, after we have dinner. It mm-hmm. kind of kind of lets my mind wander. I kind of it 
and I walk about, uh, I guess a mile, mile and a half, two miles. Yeah. And it just gives me just enough time to kind of work some things out in my brain. Um, it's walking uphill. So it kind of gives me like, it gives me a little bit extra. It's not really that much. It's that's mostly like helps my brain. That's what's so about weird about exercise. You know, it's like a lot of, and you know, it's the same thing with art. And I talk about it all the time on every show, like the meditative state. Like, when you're in a state where you're not concerned about the war in Afghanistan, you're not concerned about the bills that you're going to have to pay, when you can sort of ease your mind in a certain way, which some for some reason the stress of exercise seems to do that. It's like you so hyper-focus your mind that the external seems to go away. I think that's an important state of mind for us to get into when we're living in this modern age where there is all these like modern stresses and you know like not a lot of outlets one to to get to get to that place without you know maybe some people do it with spirituality by going to church to a religion or whatever or you know some people escape with drugs you know like the addiction is a very fine line between in that sort of mind state too but i think it's ultimately it's healthy to relax the mind in that way it's, and we don't get a lot of opportunities to do it in for most people anyway i think as artists we we're kind of lucky in that that we have those moments with our to quiet the mind even though it's hyper focused on a goal or an activity there's still a quietness to the outside as opposed right, to what's right. happening right there it's it puts you in the moment i guess which seems so cliche to say but I think also exercise, like actually physically working your body and working up a sweat, it, it relaxes your mind the rest of the day and it, it almost like helps you deal with everything. It's like a it's like a easy way to get rid of stress. Well I shouldn't say easy, but that's what's interesting about jujitsu is um having and even like a, if you're doing boxing or muay thai or kickboxing or whatever, or even like wrestling in high school, like there's a a certain comfort level that comes with knowing you have the ability to defend yourself and even further like i think jujitsu teaches people to defend others more so like Mm. like having the ability to go and break up a fight where most people may see a fight as being far too dangerous to be involved in (laughs) like there's there's a a comfort level that comes from that a little bit of easiness that like almost it takes away one little anxiety like we all have hundreds of little anxieties that are hitting us every day for whatever reason from whatever you know stimuli but to be able to take a few of those off with just having a comfort level because you know like some dudes are douchey sometimes like guys Mm want to like flaunt their ego and like be tough and the ability to know that you could just choke the fuck out of somebody or break somebody's arm <laughs> if you wanted to, like, and, you know, and that's not, I'm not claiming to be some type of tough guy or anything, but even knowing that, like, allows you to even avoid it. Whereas, like, you know, let's say somebody puffs up and you're like, I have to respond to this. Like, there's a level of knowing right. that you don't even have to respond. That, right, right. that, again, is one of those, like, one little less piece of anxiety to deal with on a daily basis. I highly recommend it, especially I, creative types, man. I know people people would love it. I do the same thing. I, I recommend golf to a lot of people, too, because I think it's the same thing, too. <laughs> you know what I recommend to a lot of people is uh, going to the batting cages. Yeah. That, that's kind of I, – I don't do it that often, but that's that's a good way for myself to kind of blow off steam, you know? I haven't played baseball or anything, but I just 
There's something about just swinging as hard as you can and just <laughs> like connecting. Yeah, I saw it. you posted a photo of playing some wiffle ball in the in oh, the studio. Oh yeah, yeah, we love we love like hitting that ball around and like like destroying shit in the studio. That's what you said when we were kids. We would take a sock and duct tape the shit out of a oh, sock, yeah. and you could hit the fuck out of it, but it kind of like floats a little bit. Dude, we we go in there. It's it's really dangerous. We we sometimes use marbles. Like we'll pitch marbles to each other. <laughs> And uh, it's so you can't see where the marbles go. You just you're just like ah. you just duck. So you can put an eye out. Yeah, that's one of the fun things about having having other people in the studio. You know? <laughs> yeah, you can't really have a marble baseball game by yourself. No, It'd be no. marble just baseball not as fun. games, man, all the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. So hey, uh, again, I want to thank you for for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Dude, I appreciate it, man. Cool. All right, thanks, Jeff. Have a good day. Alright, All right. internet world. Later. Listening. <laughs> morning, it's another pure gray morning. Don't know what the day's holding. And I get up right home and I walk right into the path of a lightning bolt. Siren of an ambulance comes howling right through the center of town. And one blinks an eye and I look up to the sky for the path of a lightning bolt. The angel's parted for her She only brought me torture That's what happens when it's you that's standing In the path of a lightning bolt Everyone I see just walks the walk with Tell you not to take chances And I'll tell you that there aren't any answers And I was starting to agree But I woke suddenly in the path of a lightning ball Fortune, people talking all about fortune Do you make it or does it just call you In the blinking of an eye Just another passerby in the path of a lightning ball Everyone I see just walks the walk with Lying back gazing skyward When the moment got shattered I remember what she said And then she fled In the path of a lightning bolt